Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, Ron Jor will be joined by a very special guest, Dr. Ross Inman. Dr. Inman serves as an associate professor of philosophy here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he also has one of the most impressive beards on campus. Uh, so today, Ron Jor and Dr. Inman will be talking about deconstruction and the Christian faith and how pastors should respond to members who find themselves in this process of deconstructing. Dr. Inman, it's so great to have you here today. It's good to be here, Roger. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's start our conversation really with just some basic definitions. So what exactly is deconstruction? Well, as a contemporary phrase, uh, you often hear theological deconstruction, spiritual deconstruction, or just deconstruction, at least as it's uh, used in sort of common sort of internet parlance. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a helpful way to sort of get get a handle on what exactly we're talking about here is something like the process by which somebody asks questions that leads to the careful dismantling of their previous held religious beliefs. Hmm. So it's a process. Mm-hmm. It's not a one-off deal. Uh, it's a process um, by which somebody asks questions that leads to the careful dismantling of their previous religious beliefs. So I think stated that way, it's neutral mm-hmm. in and of itself as to whether it's corrosive or constructive. So for example, somebody might hold uh, false religious beliefs or defective religious beliefs they might engage in a process of asking questions that leads them to carefully dismantling dismantling those false or defective religious beliefs. And mm-hmm. in that case, that would be a, a, healthy, uh, a healthy aspect of uh, deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a constructive, ironically, form of deconstruction. Uh, or it could be corrosive, where mm-hmm. it could lead ultimately to rejecting uh, religious beliefs um, altogether. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So just just understanding it as a process that's initiated and sustained by questions mm-hmm. that has a particular outcome, namely the uh, the shedding of religious beliefs, uh, I think is neutral um, in and of itself in the sense of some religious beliefs, say like Mormon religious beliefs or Jehovah's Witness religious beliefs, are worthy of shedding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, I think that is a definition that's broad enough to capture both uh, corrosive forms of deconstruction, Mm -hmm. but also perhaps constructive forms Hmm. of deconstruction. And maybe that's something we'll we'll get to later on in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So in today's culture, you're, we're hearing this a lot. There are a lot of folks that are that are using the language of deconstruction. Um, give us an example of 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 what this looks like in culture. You know, so um, 
uh, whether we're talking uh, a political deconstruction or uh, uh, say social, you know, deconstruction or, or something like that. What is that? What does this look like? Uh, it, just from a cultural yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Um, well, my my only familiarity, honestly, honestly, with spiritual deconstruction has just been several high-profile um, uh, Christian pastors, Christian authors, um, Christians with a very large social media platform who have engaged in this process that we've called spiritual deconstruction. Mm. And it's turned out to uh, result in the, the casting away of all religious beliefs, um, including uh, historic Orthodox Christian teaching. So I'm thinking of, for example, um, a book that I uh, read in high school. I don't know if uh, you did, but it was by Joshua Harris, the famous mm-hmm. author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Sure. Um, I know he has uh, used this language of his own um, journey, mm-hmm. of uh, journeying away from the Christian faith by way of uh, asking tough questions and dismantling uh, previously held religious convictions. Um, probably the most, at least in my experience, I'm not very much aware of, of this going on, but um, at least my experience is limited to just some of these high-profile cases. So Rhett and Link were two, uh, they're, they're two basically internet YouTube celebrities. Hmm. They're comedians, they're in their early 40s. Um, both grew up, um, actually um, local to North Carolina, both went to NC State. Hmm. Uh, millions and millions of YouTube followers. They've been on The Tonight Show, and uh, they're just very influential in social media. And um, they grew up conservative evangelicals and spent a lot of time uh, ministering with uh, with crew and uh, have recently in the last few years, I I believe now, uh, have uh, basically deconstructed their faith Mm -hmm. and have posted very lengthy videos on their channel describing this process and what it looked like for them and it was slightly different for both of them Rhett and for Link and uh, so we're finding uh, YouTube personalities who are high profile in this way really having a disproportionate impact I think especially for younger generations who who really uh, have made a connection with uh, with Rhett and Link so um, I know that uh, let's see Marty Simpson of the Hillsong United Band was another uh, sort of high profile uh, mm-hmm. Christian who has used this own terminology mm-hmm. of his own uh, faith journey uh, as deconstruction. So, um, yeah, those are just some examples um, as to how this label of deconstruction or spiritual deconstruction has been used, at least in popular culture, mm-hmm. at least in popular Christian culture as well. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, now, you said before that um, deconstruction is as a concept or as a process is is a bit neutral in and of itself. And so I take that to mean that you could deconstruct your way out of the faith, you know, that'd be kind of one direction uh, of deconstruction. Are there examples or or is is it even appropriate, you know, to say of deconstruction, that you could deconstruct yourself further into the faith, mm. uh, further deeper, you know, uh, perhaps uh, more clarified and 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 more uh, uh, accurate, you know, understanding and commitment to the faith. I think so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think maybe perhaps a helpful historical example of this 
because I really do think the concept is not new. Mm-hmm. The, f- the terminology of spiritual deconstruction may be sure. uh, new, but the concept of people wrestling with their faith by asking hard questions of it and their confidence in the truth of Christianity waxing and waning as they ask these sorts of questions. I mean, this is just the Christian life sure. for many people historically. Mm-hmm. So I think of someone like St. Augustine, the North African bishop. Uh, Augustine uh, wrestled mightily with various aspects of, of his Christian faith. And if you look at his trajectory, um, it was for various reasons, not just intellectual, but also uh, personal reasons. Uh, the Lord placed certain individuals like St. Ambrose in Augustine's life mm-hmm. who were winsome, mm-hmm. who were credible, which is something that hopefully we come back to later on, mm-hmm. um, who really um, made him reconsider his previous rejection and his previous objections uh, to Christianity. And Ambrose was a, was a very uh, capable scholar and a Christian man who was mm. able to walk Augustine through a lot of these objections that he had. Um, and he was a man of intellectual substance too, which Augustine was as well. So sure. uh, he was credible to St. Augustine. And I think uh, Ambrose in particular, others as well, had a very large part in Augustine making his way into the Christian faith, mm-hmm. um, and uh, moving away from, say, materialism and Manichaeanism mm-hmm. into uh, into the Christian faith, his mother Monica prayed for him for so long yeah. to embrace, and he yeah. ultimately did. And I think partly is that was by way of a process of asking really difficult questions, mm-hmm. asking that of the Manichaeans. He found them incredibly wanting. So he he says, "This is Faustus, your the sort of leader of Manichaeanism, who is." Uh, who is the most intellectually heavy hitter you have, and he just was massively underwhelmed. Yeah. And he turned his back on the Manichaeans. Mm-hmm. And so he was on a journey, ultimately, that led him to uh, the gospel yeah. by way of this, this same process. And he was himself shedding religious beliefs, mm-hmm. namely Manichaean religious beliefs, mm-hmm. which were worthy of shedding. Yeah. So that would be, I think, a historical, just one famous historical example of somebody who... Uh, engaged in this process of e- deconstruction that ultimately turned turned out to lead them into the arms of the gospel, really. Hmm. You know, I wonder if it's even appropriate to say that Christianity in and of itself is deconstructive, in that you say uh, the Lord, when he came in, the Lord spent much of his time uh, contrasting you know, what he was proclaiming in the kingdom with the conventions and the norms of Judaism as it was in the first century. You know, so you have the scribes and the Pharisees with their traditions and, you know, the rabbinic teachings and so on, many of which had gone so far away from what the Lord himself was uh, was proclaiming and what the scriptures. I mean, he, Jesus would use the, the teachings of the Old Testament to say this is not uh, what, God orig- what, what God originally intended. This is not what his word uh, uh, requires of us. And so he, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, questioned and challenged the conventions of, uh, of the Judaism that was contemporary to, uh, to his time. And in uh, contrast, replaced it with the kingdom and said, this is what God intended. This is what, you know, uh, what the original vision was supposed to be. And of course, centered around him as the Messiah. Uh, is that is that an accurate uh, way of framing it? Um, yeah, I mean, we do see Jesus himself um, 
pushing against and um, challenging many of the pre-existing um, thoughts and beliefs about God and how to be rightly related to God. So mm-hmm. absolutely. And I think just the deconstruction in and of itself um, should be the concern of anybody who's really truth concerned. So I'd like to know if the religious beliefs that I hold are true. And um, oftentimes I've found in my own journey the religious beliefs that have been challenged and have uh, and have been uh, cast aside were ones that were more a product of, of social and cultural conditions mm. uh, than really careful, thoughtful biblical reflection mm. on who God is and how to be rightly related to God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, we all hold a lot of different beliefs. Uh, many of those are false. Yeah. Yeah, the point is, is I don't know which ones are true and which ones are false necessarily until I'm in conversation with people who are able to challenge me and say, hey, why do you think that? Or, mm-hmm. or what reasons do you have for that particular, um, that particular theological belief? And uh, community can, can often shape and, uh, and sharpen and deepen mm-hmm. uh, and strengthen my own beliefs. Uh, on the other hand, the community that you're part of can also seriously cut against and undermine and be corrosive to uh, your particular uh, religious beliefs as sure, well. Sure. Um, so for for these high-profile cases, specifically Rhett, Rhett and Link, what I find very interesting about all this is um, we're finding this 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 process of what we're calling deconstruction. Again, not a new concept, uh, but an old concept with new terminology, we find it sort of taking place in a new venue. So you might say it's now very public process that can take place in front of millions and millions of viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we find it taking place in a very public social media platform. I think that changes the dynamics uh, in a lot of ways of how this is uh, carried out, how much um, of vulnerability and honesty is is brought to the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this process of deconstruction now is being motivated and initiated. I think by by certain uh, social pressures on historic Christian uh, theological beliefs. Interesting about creation, anthropology, sexuality, um, social social pressures that may not have existed, um, you know, uh, fifty years ago. That uh, are really prompting uh, this kind of deconstruction um, more than ever. So one, you've, it's taking place on a very public stage, mm-hmm. and why it's taking place is perhaps it's becoming more and more um, difficult. The social conditions in certain uh, communities uh, make affirming Christian teaching, say about creation or the self or human sexuality, uh, much more difficult. The social conditions, that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes them much more difficult to, to affirm and to confess uh, these particular beliefs. So I think there are all sorts of social factors going on, Ron Drew, that really um, help answer the question, uh, where is this process taking place? No longer is it taking place, say, um, in a, a close relationship with a pastor or Christian friends, but sometimes th- these processes are taking place on a very public stage. Mm-hmm. Um and then why? 
this, why this sort of deconstruction is taking the shape it's taking today mm-hmm. um, is largely driven, I think, by wider social factors, mm-hmm. social pressures that really d- didn't exist uh, even just decades ago, actually. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's let's talk first off to uh, the person who is going through you know a season of questioning. Um, what are some guardrails, uh, if if that's even appropriate to say? What are what are some guardrails that you could put there, you know, uh, uh, to this you know this person who's deconstructing? How 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 could you help him? And maybe even for pastors, how could how could pastors shepherd folks to ask questions, but but to stay within the rails of uh, true orthodox uh, biblical Christianity? Well, um, great questions, and I think that really is um, what we need to keep our eyes on in terms of uh, deconstruction as it plays out in the lives of uh, the saints. Um, mm-hmm. This is a real, I believe, a real part of uh, pilgrimage in a post-Christian world. I don't think this is something that's going to go away at all. Um, so learning how to uh, minister and to help deepen and strengthen one's confidence in the truth, of, in the goodness even, of Christianity mm-hmm. uh, is going to be vital uh, going forward to think about these sorts of issues. So I'm, I'm really glad that you, you all are asking these, these really hard and important questions. I would say... Um, there's a lot, honestly, that could be said here. Um, one thing that I think we really need to keep in mind, so maybe to the individual who is uh, wrestling with uh, questions, hard questions, mm-hmm. um, who, who, who have honest doubts about things, um, first of all, I think it's absolutely vital for them to know they're not alone. Sure. Um, this is nothing new. This is a part of healthy intellectual development is um, asking hard questions and especially if you're being asked to give your life to something and to follow Christ with every aspect of your life Mm -hmm. um, wanting some grounds or reasons for thinking that this is true Mm -hmm. that Jesus really is who he said he was that he really did rise from the dead that you can trust him Mm-hmm. Um, is not an unhealthy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the mere fact that one is asking questions, um, and even who's been exposed to counter-arguments to Christianity and who feels one's confidence somewhat uh, somewhat diminished mm-hmm. in light of that, that is a normal part of, I would argue, healthy uh, intellectual maturity. Mm-hmm. Learning how to... Uh, develop and cultivate a resilient faith in in the face of challenge. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if you never open up your religious beliefs to challenge, uh, you're never going to uh, experience any intellectual tension. But you're also going to lose a significant strengthening and deepening of those Christian commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we spend... We spend a great deal of time uh, focusing on professions, what people profess... Uh, rather than what do they really believe? Mm. It's very easy to profess um, mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes we mistake what people profess with what they're really ready to act as if it's the case. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's a helpful way to, to define mm-hmm. belief is 
um, a readiness to act as yeah. if something were the case. Now, kind of the difference between profession and confession. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, I like that. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, to the question uh, of just reminding uh, an individual Christian uh, in your congregation, in your small group, um, who is really wrestling with um, with doubts, with questions. One, you're not alone. Uh, People who have been wrestling with doubts and questions have been a part of the Christian community from ground zero, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I think of Jude chap- Jude 22. Mm-hmm. says, have mercy on those who doubt. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were doubters in the midst. Um, I think of, of course, uh, Thomas, uh, whom Jesus never condemns, but who actually gives and provides Thomas precisely what he needs. Um, we see in the earliest disciples in Matthew twenty-eight seventeen, where it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But it says, but some doubted. <laughs> right? So um, I think it's remarkable that James, Jesus' own brother, mm-hmm. um, was skeptical of, of Jesus' own claims of his own identity. And it wasn't until these post-resurrection appearances... That James, we find James one of the key leaders in the Jerusalem church. So Mm -hmm. the fact that the scriptures portray, hey, there were some who doubted uh, and who who actually radically changed their minds at a later later date. So you're not alone. Mm -hmm. This is not a new phenomenon in Christian history. Uh, What you do need to guard against is, is hiding and isolating and not bringing those doubts and questions to light. Within your own community in the local church, mm. um, help help shine light on those questions because there truly are intellectually satisfying and cogent answers to your questions. Mm-hmm. If you would just open them up and walk a lot alongside of somebody who has who, who's a little further down the road, mm-hmm. who's thought about some of these issues, who can walk with you through them. So first of all, you're not alone. Uh, second of all, I would strongly encourage you um, to think about belief as not an all or nothing affair. Uh, so uh, like a light switch. Some of us actually think of belief as either on or off. Um, I wanna encourage you to think of belief as less like a traditional light switch that goes on and off, but as like a dimmer switch. Hmm. So you can have more or less strength of belief. So you can have more or less confidence in the things that you do believe. So one, one way to sort of illustrate this is if you take belief to be, uh, or if you take a belief to be a kind of numerical scale, so 50 to 100, you believe it. If you're anywhere from 50 to 100. Now, if you believe something at 50 and if you believe something at 100, well, that's a different degree sure. of belief, a different strength of confidence. Now, I don't believe everything I believe with the same degree of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe it's going to rain tomorrow with the same degree of confidence that I'm sitting here having a conversation with you, Ranjur. Um So the fact that beliefs can be strengthened mm-hmm. and they can be diminished and you can still believe them. Mm-hmm. So I really, I really worry, Ranjur, when we, when we model belief as you either believe it or you don't. And when somebody encounters a really powerful objection to Christianity or a powerful objection to the historicity of the Gospels or the resurrection of, of Jesus of Nazareth, um, their, their degree of confidence 
maybe slightly diminished or even greatly diminished, mm-hmm. um, and they can still believe these things to be true, but those same beliefs can also be strengthened yeah. by studying the historicity of the resurrection, the reliability and the historicity of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, so apologetic ministry can be enormously helpful in, in strengthening one's confidence in one's beliefs in the face of tension and challenges to those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing belief as something that can be cultivated and strengthened. So if you find yourself um, having your beliefs diminish in confidence, don't despair. Um, th- those beliefs can be strengthened by looking, by taking a, um, a serious look at uh, some of the reasons for and against those particular objections that you're encountering, whether it's in the university uh, or in the workplace. Um, so just because you, you may have lost some confidence doesn't mean at all you disbelieve these mm-hmm. things, uh, doesn't mean at all you lack faith, but faith as trust can be strengthened it can wax and wane, and oftentimes does in the normal Christian life. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but mm-hmm. this has been my own story too. Sure. Um, and it's been looking at uh, Ron Jewett's been looking at the some of the best challenges to my faith. That's actually strengthened my faith mm-hmm. in the long run. Mm-hmm. That's actually given me a greater confidence that what I believe, I'm confident this is true. Now, there are some powerful objections that st- I still think about to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking about them and considering them in, in community have, have done nothing but strengthen my, my confidence in the truth of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So those would be, I think, two things. Is one, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, uh, don't hide. Uh, and in fact, we'll talk about, I think, how we can, how we can cultivate the right social conditions that actually uh, encourage people mm-hmm. to come out of hiding and to actually be open and honest with their questions too. I think that's the key. Yeah. Um, but but also to think about belief as degreed, it can be strengthened, it can wax and wane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of growing in intellectual maturity, I think, as Ephesians four puts it, so that you may no longer be carried about to and fro, carried mm-hmm. about by every wind of doctrine. Mm-hmm. Part of becoming more stable and intellectually mature in Christ is. Uh, is, is becoming more confident in the things that you do believe. So those yeah. would just be a few just individual thoughts, I think, mm-hmm. for, for somebody who is walking through these, uh, through through some tough questions. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking when you were talking about the, um, I was thinking about the disciples. Uh, Jesus is, is walking with the disciples, and surely the disciples had season upon season upon season, episode upon episode upon episode, where Jesus just kind of stops and looks at them and is just like, are you okay? <laughs> what's what's up with your faith? You know what, what what's going on? You, it seems like um, like he would say, you know, oh, you of little faith. You know, yeah. he would say to them. And and when I was hearing you talk here, I was just thinking, at no time did Jesus uh, not identify them as his disciples. So even though they may have these moments where they are struggling to believe, they're struggling to trust him, they're struggling to take him at his word, and so on, but they were still his disciples. And and we still call them his disciples, even though they had those seasons. And I think that that could be uh, encouraging to some folks who are having some questions, who are, who are struggling 
uh, with doubt, you know, they're struggling in the faith, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are an unbeliever in the sense that you are no longer in the faith, you know, or anything like that. That is a category, but I don't think that, that this particular phenomenon is always should always be placed in the category of this person is a is a non a non-believer is no longer you know believes in Christ no longer uh, has has faith in the gospel or That's anything right. like that. Uh, we we need to have a, a few more perhaps nuanced categories uh, to say you could be a believer just using your uh, kind of gradient uh, uh, analogy there. It just may be that the dimmer is a little bit you know a little bit lower than it was before. And certainly all of us who have walked with the Lord uh, can, if we're being honest, can say we've had those seasons where, where something has just rocked our faith mm-hmm. and, and we needed a moment. <laughs> we needed a moment. Yeah. Uh, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that on the kind of the other side of the struggle, if you will, uh, we are less confident. It could very well be that after the struggle, we find ourselves even more confident in the gospel because of the things that we've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so this could be a good thing uh, in the sense that God will use moments, certainly, uh, in our sanctification to refine us, mm-hmm. to refine our thinking, to refine our, our convictions so that we find ourselves uh more uh, truthfully committed to Christ mm. uh, than we were before. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, you know, I think we need to keep in mind that there's such an intricate relationship between belief and action. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, so just, just to illustrate, so if I believe that it's going to rain today and I'm leaving my house, if I really firmly, confidently believe that, I'm going to grab an umbrella, mm-hmm. assuming I, I want to stay dry, right? Mm-hmm. So beliefs and action, really, as one, one author put it, beliefs are the sort of rails upon which your life runs. You will almost never act contrary to what you actually believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the way to strengthen beliefs so that one can cultivate um, a deeper, more committed discipleship mm-hmm. action. Uh, you can't just tell somebody, strengthen your beliefs. Sure. Um, beliefs don't work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be. They have to be strengthened. Um, and this is just, I think, how the mind works, Ranjur, by considering reasons mm-hmm. for that belief. Now, if you wanted to really uh, strengthen my belief that it was going to rain today, uh, you would s- sort of say, well, and I say, well, why do you think it's going to rain today? You'd say, well, you know, the weatherman says it's going to rain today, mm-hmm. or, or look at those clouds. You'd start giving me things to go on in terms of reasons for thinking this is why you should grab that umbrella next to the door and take it with you, assuming you want to stay dry. Mm-hmm. So apologetic ministry um, can really... Um, come alongside and, and help speak to how to strengthen one's confidence when it's challenged in the truth of Christianity. And I think it's really, in, so just speaking to pastors, if I may, mm-hmm. um, so there are a few things I think are just going to be absolutely vital. Uh, I've seen this in practice, but just um, reflecting on this for pastors to create the proper conditions for healthy intellectual tension and intellectual exploration. So um, 
I think one of the most dangerous things that we need to be looking looking out for in the local church um, is the cultivation of conditions that uh, are are encouraging people to go underground with their questions. And mm-hmm. um, so if they're not willing to sort of bring their questions and doubt into light in the local church, uh, they're going to be seeking answers to these questions. It's just how the mind and the heart work together. Where will be they will will they be seeking answers to these questions? Well, I guess we're finding out where they're seeking answers yeah. to these questions. Yeah. YouTube, the yeah. internet. Um, so they're going to be searching for answers to their questions, but but there's anonymity there. Mm-hmm. They don't have to let somebody know. I did a, I did a, I did a search in Google about the problem of evil, or same sex marriage or whatnot. But uh, if we're creating the conditions in the local church that foster a healthy intellectual exploration. That's going to include creating space to listen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pastors uh, have an ear to the ground with where your people are, with where your your youth are. What kinds of questions are they asking? Mm -hmm. Providing space and forum to just listen Mm -hmm. to what are some of these barriers that are preventing vibrant, ongoing faith in Christ. Uh, You're not going to know that unless you're listening. What we used to do at my old church in Texas is um, with the youth, we would pass out note cards to the, mm-hmm. to the students, and it would all be anonymous. We would just say, write uh, some of the most pressing and challenging questions that you're wrestling with. And you would not believe, Ranjur, mm. the complexity and the nuance and the depth of these questions mm. that these students, junior high even, were wrestling with. And what we would do is I would pick two or three of these, and the next day... We would just walk through them and and just teach them how to sort of go about finding satisfying answers to some of these questions and how That's to think good. Christianly about these things. Mm-hmm. So what that did for them is that modeled for them, hey, we are, as Paul says in 1 Timothy um, 3.15, the, the church of the living God is a pillar and a buttress of truth. Right. Like we're not hiding our heads in the sand. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're about. We don't dodge questions because we're afraid this thing is going to be shown to be false. A pillar and a buttress, a support, a mainstay, a foundation of the truth. Sometimes we need to model that uh-huh. to our youth, um, to, to our church members, that we encourage intellectual development, intellectual exploration. And even when you're asking hard questions, um, we can find somebody to walk alongside of you. But but just don't go underground with those questions. Mm-hmm. Bring them into the light. So so creating space to listen, Ranjur, um, creating space to consider um, rival mm-hmm. views, both Christian mm-hmm. and secular views. Mm-hmm. So um, opening up our students' minds to the diversity of Christian theological positions and various interpretations of how Christians have understood Scripture. Um on the one hand. And on the other hand, uh, uh, creating space to actually consider and evaluate obje- some of the best objections to, to Christianity. Um, so there's a really, just see if I can uh, say this uh, in, a, in a sort of succinct way. So there's this really fascinating um, theory in communication theory called inoculation theory. Hmm. William McGuire, um, who is an American social psychologist, Uh, known for his work on the psychology of persuasion Hmm. around the mid-20th century. William McGuire did this really fascinating study um, um, that he broke up 
these students into four uh, different groups, and he presented each of these groups with uh, the radically counterintuitive claim that brushing your teeth promotes tooth decay. Okay, so <laughs> each of these groups, he, he articulated to these students that brushing your teeth actually promotes and causes tooth decay. He actually had them read this sort of pseudo-scientific article about it in defense of mm -hmm. how brushing your teeth can promote uh, tooth decay. So group one, so different sort of uh, control conditions here. Group one, they had no other preparation uh, other than just simply being told they were gonna read a particular article that was promoting a particular idea, mm -hmm. namely the idea that brushing your teeth actually promotes tooth decay, contrary to what they've believed, their prior beliefs their entire life. So mm -hmm. no, other, no other prep other than, hey, you're gonna read this article and it promotes this idea. The second group uh, received uh, reinforcement of their prior beliefs. So they were told before they were given this article and they were told that brushing your teeth actually promotes uh, tooth decay, they were told uh, that brushing your teeth is good. They were actually reinforced in their prior beliefs before hearing this counter evidence mm -hmm. to the contrary. Now the third group received a warning ahead of time that they were going to read something that's actually going to challenge your prior beliefs about brushing. Okay, And then the last group, um, they were informed prior to reading the article, they were informed of a mild version of this counter-argument they were going to read, and they were given a refutation hmm. of this counter-argument, the mm -hmm. counter-argument being that actually brushing your teeth promotes tooth decay. Mm -hmm. Now, McGuire's concern was which group experienced the least change in their prior beliefs. The least change was actually group four. It was the group that was exposed to the counter-argument ahead of time prior to hearing and receiving this counter-argument, and they were exposed to a way of engaging that counter-argument and a way of refuting hmm. that counter-argument. They experienced the least change of their prior belief hmm. that brushing your teeth is actually good, which it mm -hmm. is, obviously. Mm -hmm. The group that experienced the most change, this is very interesting, was group two. So the group that was armed only with a reassurance of what they already believed, hey, brushing your teeth is good. They actually reported that they felt deceived. Hmm. Interesting. They felt deceived that they had not been made aware of prior to uh, counter evidence that brushing your teeth may actually promote tooth decay. So. They felt deceived that they weren't made aware of this mm. counter evidence beforehand. And McGuire actually showed they, they attached negative feelings to those who had not exposed them to these prior counter arguments. Now, if you go back and listen mm -hmm. to Rhett and Link's deconversion stories, yeah. there's a remarkable similarity here, especially with Rhett's two hour decon, decon, deconstruction sort uh -huh. of explanation. Um, he was really disillusioned with his Christian community growing up for not exposing him to um, the evidence for uh, evolutionary theory, hmm. for sort of insulating him from all these counter views 
uh, he wasn't aware of any of these things. These were all surprises to him mm-hmm. uh, as he entered uh, as he entered college. So, this is fascinating yeah. stuff here, Ranjur. Yeah. That yeah. those whose whose beliefs were the least affected mm-hmm. were those who were actually exposed to counter arguments and and a refutation of these counter arguments. So, what does that mean for pastoral ministry in our in our in our time right now? Well. Um, maybe it would be encouraging for pastors to consider creating space uh, to walk with their students through counter views, um, both secular and other Christian counter views that differ from their own, mm-hmm. as well as how to think through some of these particular um, uh, rival beliefs mm-hmm. and how to engage them and how to respond to them. And so when we're asking the question, how can we deepen and strengthen uh, our, our, our convictions to the Christian faith, um, one way of doing that here, uh, one thing that McGuire's study shows is that exposing students uh, in a healthy, sort of vibrant Christian context mm. can actually strengthen their beliefs uh, in the long run. So yeah. it, it's, it's, it's this idea that we both lo- we run the risk of losing their trust too. If we're not um, walking with them through these rival encounter views, because they're going to wonder, how come I was never exposed to this uh, yeah. before? And yeah. in fact, if you listen carefully, Ranjur, this is what's happening. Yeah, people feel betrayed. They don't feel the church is is credible or trustworthy. What else have they been hiding? Mm. And and that those conditions, I think, can really change if we are walking with our students with integrity and honesty, but not shying away from really challenging um, questions and and objections to the Christian faith. But that means we need people in our midst who can walk with people through these sorts of things. Right, right. Who have themselves looked at these questions and who can can walk alongside of both adults and students to minister to them in these ways. You know, it reminds me a lot of um, vaccinations. Obviously, they're all the rage right now. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I guess pun intended on that one, uh, because they are literally all the <laughs> all the rage for some people. But uh, you think of the 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 typical vaccination, um, or at least you know one of the types of vaccinations that seem to be the most effective these days. And usually, what it is, is it's a tiny controlled dose of yeah. the very thing that you're supposed to be vaccinated against yeah. you know so whatever the virus is whatever the you know whatever the infection is or, or, or whatnot yeah. uh, they, they introduce a little bit of it to your body in order to train your immune system mm-hmm. uh, against it yeah. you know to train it to fight it to fight it uh, and, and I uh, hearing what you're saying that actually reminded me of that that perhaps in our churches, the best way to vaccinate, if you will, uh, our, our uh, members and so on against teachings that could potentially corrode and erode you know, the faith mm-hmm. is by introducing them to those very beliefs and concepts and ideas now. You know, and and in so doing, say, hey, let's think about this. You know, what are the what are the premises? You know, yeah. of this of this concept. You know, yeah. what what's what's driving this? What's motivating this? Uh, uh, in what ways could there possibly be truth? You yeah. know, to what they're to what they're saying. 
Uh, and of course, you know, what is it that's erroneous? What is it that runs counter to uh, to the faith? You know, yeah. to what we know is true in Scripture. Uh, but as you said, not not being afraid uh, to to ask hard questions and to mm-hmm. go, you know, uh, to into those particular. Uh, um, uh, arenas, if you will, you know, of, of ideas and so on. If the truth is the truth, yeah. it's going to stand <laughs> and everything else is going to fall to pieces. Um, uh, the truth is what it is. <laughs> and so uh, we should have the confidence, uh, pastors, uh, and even the confidence, you know, church members, uh, to ask the hard questions, having the confidence of knowing that if this is true, It'll it'll remain standing, uh, you know. It'll weather the storm. Um, so yeah, that's 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 good stuff. I want to ask one last question. So you've talked uh, a bit to pastors uh, in um, uh, about deconstruction. You've you've uh, talked to them a, a little bit about what it is and and even you know how we can cultivate a culture uh, where we ask difficult questions, where we allow people to wrestle. Uh, with with the faith, um, but but say you're you're talking to a pastor and and the pastor has uh, a church member who who is just struggling. Um, uh, perhaps they have gone to YouTube uh, and to some of these other these others, and they've heard of this nefarious plot by Christians to <laughs> you know to. Uh, 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 manipulate you know people into believing what they believe in order that they may gain power or, you know or all of these other things that you uh, can hear ad nauseum uh, on the interwebs um, and that pastor is 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 really caught off guard uh, the pastor just wasn't expecting you know that that something like this you know would would happen in their church uh, that there'd be people who would who would seriously be entertaining these things. What encouragement would you give for him as a shepherding to uh, not only to uh, to welcome you know questions and so on, but also to shepherd his people, you know, and to guard them from, uh, say, you mentioned Jude, you know, to guard them from false teachers, to guard them from those who would take a, a, a sheep, if you will, in that position kind of that vulnerable position and uh, and take advantage of of them in that in that moment how, how can pastors both kind of balance the two you know both welcome the questioning yeah. but also guard them uh, from you know what will derail them yeah good a great question Ranjur. I would I would highly encourage our first posture to be one of listening um, there's going to be a real temptation to speak mm. to the issue, um, and listening, entering into because there's a real struggle going on here, and you want to be you want to be true to the inner reality that's going on. That there's this real tension, and um, and so listening, um, listening well. Um, and uh, I, I think one, one thing to keep in mind is um, encouraging that person uh, to, be, to be mindful of, of where their ears are. Uh, let me just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because for for many of our people, their ears are in the hands of someone other than, you might say, uh, the living God. Mm-hmm. So I think of Proverbs. It's just mm-hmm. filled with wisdoms calling out. Mm-hmm. Listen, do not neglect her voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact is, is that people they're listening to a lot of different sources of information. Sure. And, um, encouraging your people, be highly, highly vigilant with who you entrust your ears to. Um, many of us entrust our ears to, you know, pundits, to celebrities, to musicians, yeah. Yeah. to uh, YouTube celebrities. Um, but I love Proverbs 8 that talks about... Um, Heeding wisdom's call, heeding wisdom's voice. Uh, so keeping attuned uh, to the voice of God speaking out in Scripture, just reminding them. Mm-hmm. Keep your ear to the ground of Scripture and, yeah. and really be careful who you fill your, your mind and your heart with in terms of um, who you listen to, who you read. And not, and not in a sense of um, uh, don't read anything. Um, and I want to be clear about that. Sure. But... Um, we often absorb more from um, the people that we're listening to and the ways they approach topics than we realize. Mm-hmm. And um, we can become very much like those we, we entrust our ears to. Sure. And so um, I, I would just highly encourage them to, um, to, one, enter into that tension and struggle. Don't minimize it and mm-hmm. say, oh, I've got there are three answers that I want to give to you for this. There's a place and a time for that, mm-hmm. uh, but enter into it uh, with them um, and also just encourage them to be mindful of, of, of what they fill their heart and their minds with. Because it's often the case that we're more influenced by, um, by the media, by entertainment, than we realize. And um, where Christianity may be mocked and denigrated and ridiculed and seen as oppressive and outdated and on the wrong side of history. Now, if you fill your mind and your heart with that posture, don't be surprised when you find yourself taking that heart posture uh, eventually, that, that posture being cultivated in you. So there are all sorts of ways we're being formed and deformed unaware. And so just reminding that person, um, keep a close eye on um, on what you are filling your mind and heart with, but also um, turning towards the, the, the scriptures themselves as, as life-giving um, and heeding the voice of wisdom uh, crying out uh, in the scriptures. Uh, that would be at least a place to start. Um, uh, but also I would say raising up those in your immediate community there in the local church who can help minister to and walk with this person who is struggling. Identify people in the congregation who have, uh, who have wrestled with issues uh, relating to science and religion, who have thought about these things, mm-hmm. and, and put them in contact with people you know who are struggling with, college students that are struggling with. They're taking a college biology class, and there are things that are being said. They're not sure how to think through these issues. Yeah. Um, identifying and mobilizing those in your local church uh, who have thought some about this and uh, making the right connections and um, and pointing them to people who can actually be equipped and ready to help. But I would say, Pastor, are you equipped and ready to help too? And that's uh, part of the intellectual stewardship 
Um, and intellectual leadership is really, uh, is really the role of the pastor. Um, so uh, yeah, those are just those are those are some areas that I think I would at least start to yeah. to point them to. That is really good, and uh, and I thank you so much for that, pastors. You um, have a, a, a responsibility uh, both to yourself, um, uh, for yourself, and also for your members uh, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, as Paul would say. Uh, he says it in Ephesians four. He says it in Romans twelve. Uh, this this constant. A state of renewing your mind, of refining the way that you think uh, about life, about reality, and so on. Of course, being guarded and uh, and grounded uh, by the truth of Scripture. Uh, and so you're constantly thinking through uh, issues. You're constantly thinking about your own beliefs. Why do you believe what you believe? Where are you getting it from? Uh, is this coming from uh, Scripture or is it coming from somewhere else? Uh, you know, all of these different things. Uh, and in there, you're going to have questions. Uh, you know, you're going to have challenges uh, to your beliefs, challenges uh, uh, to, um, uh, to convictions that you may hold uh, that may not necessarily be the best convictions to hold, uh, and they need correction. Uh, that's normal to the Christian life, normal for yourself, uh, and of course, normal for your church people as well. Uh, and so, uh, may God cultivate uh, in you, and may God cultivate in your church a culture of of people, uh, kind of the the old uh, Latin phrase "semper reformanda." Uh, that, that you're constantly reforming, constantly always refining, uh, Lord willing, in the process of sanctification, that you're becoming more and more like Christ, uh, not just in uh, your, your life, but also in your mind and also in your loves uh, as well. And so may God uh, be with you and may he continue to uh, strengthen you and continue to refine you and, uh, and continue to shape you and your people uh, into conformity to Christ. Dr. Inman, it is so great to have you here, and uh, thank you very much for the conversation. Oh, my pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for having me. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this episode helpful in any way, uh, please consider leaving us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.